welcome to Nostalgia Ultras, the football podcast still living off of past glories. I'm your host, Stephen McGovern. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, at Nostalgia Ultra 5, and make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Android, wherever you get your podcasts. Now, I'm by myself this week. There's no Connor, there's no Morris, there's no Colm. He's in Lisbon uh, for the web summit. But uh, I am joined by a very special guest this week, none other than David Squires. Now, if you don't know who David Squires is, then you've been missing out on probably the best football cartoonist around for the last four years. Uh, David draws comics for The Guardian on a weekly basis, and he has a new book out this week called uh, Goalless Draws. It's uh, published by Faber, and it's a collection of his finest work for The Guardian since he started drawing for them. It follows on from his first two books, which were completely original pieces of work. Um, I have them on my shelf right here, and I have to say, David is an extremely nice man who was very good with his time for this interview. We covered a bunch of stuff in just under half an hour, as well as the book, including Poppygate, James McLean, the death of satire, emo Jose, facing self-doubt as an artist, and of course, his beloved Swindon Town. Yeah, we had a, a good f- few laughs during the course of our chat, uh, which took place over Skype, so do please excuse some of the audio quality. It's not great at the very start, but it does get a bit better as we go on. Uh, our guest is, is based in Australia after all, so it can be hard to get a clean reception. Anyhow, it's time for episode 22 of Nostalgia Ultras with David Squires. So you've written your book, Goalless Draws. When you started out, did you ever think you'd have one book, let alone three books at this stage? No, not at all. So when I started doing stuff for The Guardian in 2014, I had a full-time job in a completely unrelated field. It was just something I was working on in the evenings and tend not to sort of um, dwell on on that kind of thing. But I did allow myself a moment when when a new book came through the post and sort of thinking about when I was younger and was struggling to get uh, a gig doing any illustrating. Uh, yeah, I sort of felt pleased for that spotty 21-year-old kid who couldn't get a job. But yeah, uh, not that I'm sort of resting on my own. You know you're only as good as your next game. I'm 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 sure you've got that uh, scrawled across uh, your above your door, just like this is the this is Anfield sign. You know, like you're only as good as your last comic. But uh, yeah. That's right. My uh, the, the room at the back of my house where I work is covered in uh, motivational text, like a sort of third division football club. <laughs> <laughs> this is Cambridge. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Weird sort of um, motivational messages that you see on LinkedIn. Yes, the stuff you see on LinkedIn is is bizarre. To be honest, have you avoided LinkedIn, or is it, uh, or has it been a crucial part of like your you know creating a career? <laughs> know that I have reached an expert level of procrastination when I find myself scrolling through LinkedIn <laughs> and, and sort of looking at conferences that people I've worked with eight years ago are at. So no, it hasn't come in any use at all. In, 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 in this 
sort of slyly stalk people. Yeah, it's fairly useless. I've, I've, I always get worried when I see other people using it, and I think, oh crap, I should, I should be on it to further my career. But, uh, you know, in the end, I always think it's not, it's not worth it. That's the con- conclusion I come to. Th- this new book is kind of a compilation of drawings that you've done for the Guardian over the years. So w- I assume this was an an easier job than your than your first two books, which you had yeah. to do completely original work for. Yeah, it was. Definitely less labour intensive. So it was actually a fairly uh, it was a positive process to, to look at them and uh, sort of realise that um, I'm not as terrible as I convince myself sometimes. Uh, hopefully, you know, readers are looking for find that as well. Did you did you compile it yourself? Then you had to to pick all of the comics for this book. And and how and in that case, how many did you have to choose from? Yeah, I think I had about three hundred, and I wanted to whittle it down to around two hundred. And so it was literally a matter of listing them all, and then putting a tick next to the ones that I, I definitely wanted to include, the ones that have had a good response, uh, the ones that, that I that I thought were funny. I worked with my editor at Faber. Thankfully, he mostly agreed with my choices and he had added a lot more that things that I wasn't particularly wasn't sure about I think my original list probably didn't have as many on as as his did because of what I was saying before about being you know very self-critical about this stuff he was able to convince me that some of them warranted inclusion so and looking back at them I can hopefully that he was right so it was good to have like a, a fresh pair of eyes essentially yeah definitely and yeah, looking back, that there weren't any that I really disagreed with. There were a couple of really esoteric cartoons that I've done over the last four years that I look back and even with the benefit of having drawn it myself, I couldn't remember what the hell the references were or what was it, what it was about. <laughs> so, so I had a, an insight into what it's like to be a reader of these cartoons sometimes. So I can only apologise, but um, <laughs> so they didn't they didn't quite make it in. But hopefully the ones that uh, people are familiar with and, and they like, they are all in there. Is that kind of quite common for artists or is that just a, a personal thing, the the self-criticism you speak of, of there? You need an element of that for quality control. There's a balance between being able to think of an idea and dismiss it and build on it and having days where you draw something and sort of convince yourself that it's terrible and Personally, I occasionally spiral into this sort of chasm of self-doubt. I look back at my entire body of work and just think I'm a complete fraud. But I've been doing it long enough now that um, I know that those it's like a phase and it passes. Um, and it could be sometimes it's like a two or three week period where I'm just thinking, oh, what the hell am I doing? But I know myself well enough now that I can recognize it and just... Yeah, just move on, just plow through it. Yeah, I always come out the other side. People are always very positive about the cartoons, or mostly, and that helps. And uh, yeah, but I, I'm making myself sound like Vincent van Gogh here or something. <laughs> the cartoons about football. I, I I really need to lighten up about this stuff. <laughs> You're uh, known for drawing Big Sam as the Nevermind baby, so it's it's um it's it's definitely lighthearted. That's for sure. No one's gonna. Yeah, I mean. 
if I cut my ear off, I hadn't really, I wouldn't know who to send it to. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe Big Sam, I should send it to him. He's my music. Yeah, ma- maybe, maybe. Do, do you ever like think of artists like Van Gogh and go like, oh Jesus, like I hope, I hope <laughs> I don't end up like that. Uh, no, I'm. I mean, he had a, a specific set of mental illness issues, which uh, thankfully I don't have. But I'm, I'm not a, a tortured genius. I'm like I say, I'm a guy who draws cartoons about football. I, I know my place in the in the pecking order of the art world, and <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm strictly Visa Homes League. So I, I'm I'm happy down there with my, you know, motivational texts and all the rest of it and my linkedin accounts I'm, I'm fine but maybe maybe if you ever get around to writing you know your own biography or autobiography the the title will be chasm of self-doubt i think that has a <laughs> that has a ring to it um, i'm wondering if this is a sort of upbeat thing that might that the uh the pr person is who <laughs> is hoping that i would be saying to, to help sell a few copies of the book I don't know. Well, I think it's good to have these conversations because I think people assume like when you when you aspire to kind of a certain level, y- you don't see the self-doubt and the uh, the kind of problems that people like yourself or other artists, writers, whoever go through. So I think it's it's good insight for, for people who are kind of trying to get to the level of drawing for a newspaper or writing for a big website, you know? Yeah, it's uh, it's tough. I mean, it can take a, a long time to, to get there. And certainly, I mean, as I was saying, I left uni in 1996. And, you know, it took me the best part of 20 years to, to get where I wanted to be. And don't get me wrong, I wasn't eaten up with um, remorse every day. I wasn't sort of constantly pining for the career I didn't have. You just sort of get on with life. I feel like I sort of got lucky as well to have this this job, that you know, place where I am now. I was really reliant on social media, and I think if for all its evils, if Twitter and Facebook hadn't come along, I almost certainly wouldn't be doing this job now. Could you describe exactly what it is you do? Like, are you a cartoonist? Are you a social commentator? A, a meme appropriator? Or do all of those titles kind of fit? <laughs> Raconteur, you know, mystery <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I would say I'm a cartoonist. Yeah, that's because um, was... you do you do hit on a lot of of topics and and you you kind yeah. of you know there's a lot of jokes, but you also you know throw in the odd social issue. There's obviously you know big issues in football that you talk about, and then you know like I said, there's a lot of kind of popular memes that you throw in there. So it is a big kind of uh, of mix in there. Yeah, I mean with the political stuff and the social commentary, you think that football doesn't exist in a vacuum. We all bring to football our own experiences and um, you know, our, our own opinions and as we've seen in the last week with the annual poppy gate uh, politics and social issues often cross over with football as well and that stuff really interests me and often I have things that, that I want to get off my chest or things that I want to express it's a good way for me to to do that through the cartoons is a good vessel for that. It certainly helps to get it out of my head and on page. And with the, the meme stuff, I mean, the bottom line for me with a lot of the cartoons is just that they're funny. And I'll just try to reflect things that, that I think are amusing. Often I'll put characters from the football world in different situations. So, yeah, if there's a, if there's a popular meme, then maybe I'll work it that, um, to put football personality in there. Or, and those are often the drawings that seem to get the biggest reaction 
you mentioned Big Sam as, say, the, the Nevermind baby. There are certain managers who I can draw in a certain context and fairly confident that will be the life. But also, I can use the text to, to talk about slightly more interesting things, or if a subject is more serious, then I can try and express how I feel about that. Is this your, your favourite time of the year for drawing cartoons? Uh, you mentioned Poppygate there. Uh, there's a lot of, of fertile ground there. <laughs> every year around this time and for the last couple of weeks i've had people tweeting me saying when are you doing your poppy cartoon when <laughs> it's become a thing like the first cartoon i did for the guard was on the subject of poppy gate and it was just when james mclean was first starting to get real abuse for, for not wearing the poppy so i did a cartoon about that and every year it just seems to be getting madder and madder and it got to the point where so this year so this week's cartoon i have one joke in there about sort of poppy mania but it's, it's becoming increasingly difficult to exaggerate the kind of things that people are doing in real life <laughs> so it's like with cartoonists and satirists find it hard to sort of land a glove on on donald trump because the way he's behaves it's more cartoonish than anything people can can imagine for the purposes of comedic exaggeration and i'm finding that a bit with with the poppy stuff someone stopped a friend of mine in the street yesterday and asked her why her dog wasn't wearing a poppy <laughs> i do have a, a few jokes written down that i'm saving for the next week so um but it really depends. If something more interesting happens in the next seven days, then, then maybe I'll just settle for that one poppy joke in, in this week's cartoon, and then we can all move on. I can't remember. It was, it was Jimmy Kimmel or one of those late-night uh, TV hosts in America who said that, that Trump essentially has killed satire or he's killed comedy or it was yeah. something along those lines. I, I just did a quick Google search on it. I just uh, put in David Squire's poppy and, and yeah, there's quite a few. David Squire's on Football and Poppygate 2016. David Squires on football and Remembrance Day. David Squires on football's poppy fury season. So it's definitely a, a topic um, yeah. you've come back to. I mean, just to get your opinion for a moment on the, the James McLean stuff. I mean, what what is your reaction to it when you see that every year the abuse he's getting and everything that comes with it for a, a you know a, an opinion that he has that he he hasn't really even been that vocal about but he's getting a lot of abuse i mean it's it's um it's a bit mad isn't it yeah i just despair frankly it's um, pretty depressing uh, i saw the videos from last weekend when uh, there's a group of his own of, of stoke supporters abusing him as, as he goes off field and i think it reflects the political climate in britain and that's something that's obviously got worse in the last few years since i started drawing these cartoons in 2016 uh, sorry 14 but yeah for mclean to have the audience every year it's yeah it's just depressing like every game every away ground he goes to be it'll be interesting to see what kind of reaction Matic gets and whether there's a different reaction to someone who is Serbian as opposed to someone's Irish. I sort of suspect there will be. Yeah, it's just grim. Do you, I, I mean, like, obviously you're, you know, on the other side of the world in Sydney, Australia, and so you're kind of away from it all a little bit. And yep. so feel free to, to skip on this question if you like. Do you do you think that's a big element of it, the, the anti-Irishness? Because we do see... You know, at England game, you know, fans are singing No Surrender and FDIRA and, and all these kind of things. There's, there's not necessarily a lot of, you know, anti-Serb chants at England no. games. So do you think yeah. that's kind of a lot of what's uh, pushing it at the minute? That's what's driving all this hatred? Look, I think that you're right. I'm a long way from it. 
so I can't speak with any great authority on that. But yeah, you're, you're exactly right. The, some of the chants that sections of England support sing are well documented. Yeah, I mean, it's being sung by people who, like younger people. There was a, a game in Spain the other week, and you've got groups of lads who are in their 20s singing about the IRA and the Pope and all the rest of it. It's bizarre. Yeah, like I say, pretty pressing. I think that, yeah, you, you could be right. I think there probably is an anti-Irish agenda to it as well. So I'll be really interested to see what happens with the Maniac Matic. To get, to get onto a, you know, more lighter subjects, I, I'm going to assume that one of your favourite characters to draw is Jose Mourinho, because uh, he features quite a few times uh, week to week. Recently, you've characterized Mourinho as as a kind of emo, as like a, a My Chemical Romance fan. Where did the inspiration for that come from? Yeah, it was in pre-season where they, United were off in the US at the International Champions Cup. Obviously, it was only sort of two weeks after the World Cup had finished. Everyone was kind of on a high after the World Cup. And it was a great tournament and people looking forward to the new season starting again. And then you started to get a few interviews coming out from, from Jose, and he's pretty much down on his luck, complaining about his lot in life. And, <laughs> and he was wearing this pink hoodie as well during, during pre-season. So for the first, uh, for my first cartoon of the season, I wanted to do a, uh, Jose Mourinho doing a pre-season preview, a rundown of all the clubs, but in the style of a moody teenager. Um, writing sort of bad sixth form poetry, um, <laughs> and so, uh, so I did that, and that was fairly popular. And then he kept complaining, and as he does, and gradually the grumpy teenager that I had been drawing became more and more emo. So yeah, he but the, the sculpted hair and the the um, the eyeliner and um, you know tight jeans with large converse trainers and, and that sort of thing so i've been having good fun with it you're right um my references to emo bands of the um early 21st century is getting pretty thin though i'm, I'm working my way through i'm working my way through that wikipedia page and some of the references get more, <laughs> more obscure so um he's actually he's, he's cheered up a bit in the last couple of weeks so I haven't had a chance to, to draw Emo Mourinho, but I'm sure he'll make a make a return. So I've got a bit of time to brush up on my early 21st <laughs> century goth punk pop bands. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure uh, Emo Jose will return very shortly. Um, has I, I'm sh- I know you know Jose Mourinho probably isn't worried about you know what a you know a Guardian cartoonist is is. Uh, you know, saying about him or, or writing about him, but has anybody ever complained about their likeness? The only one that uh, has ever complained to me in person was uh, Steve McMahon. And forgive me if I've, I've spoken about this before, but one of the first paying gigs I had was to do a caricature. He was a manager of Swindon Town at the time. I'm a Swindon fan. I lived in Swindon and uh, I contacted the club and they got me to do a caricature of him that we were going to sell in the club shop. He saw it, hated it. I never got paid. And <laughs> due to a bizarre set of circumstances, I ended up in a small office with, next to him and was introduced to him as the person who'd drawn the party. And, yeah, he 
Uh, he called me the, the rudest word in the English language and then complained that I'd made him look like Paul Daniels, the, uh, the TV magician. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So he's the only one. Yeah, I, I don't have much much contact with uh, with the football world and I'm tucked away down here in Australia. So the chances of me running into Big Sam or um, Jose or anyone are pretty slim. Uh, obviously, everyone knows about the unfortunate and tragic uh, happenings at, at Leicester City recently with their owner, his untimely death. And you drew a comic about Leicester City uh, that week. And it was it was I thought it was very well done. It was very tastefully done. But you, you also kind of you know, kept some of the characteristics about your your cartoons in there. I mean, is it difficult for you to write about sensitive subjects while having you know a th- you know kind of like a thin layer of humor in there? Or uh, yeah, it was it was a challenge. There have been a few cases in in the last few years since I've been drawing the cartoons, where similar stories have broken. I suppose the easy thing would have been to avoid the subject and talk about something else, but I felt that would have been a bit of a cop out um, was I mean, the Leicester story was, was the biggest one last week and I really wanted the cartoon to be about the effect that he had on the people of Leicester and Leicester fans even for people who didn't support Leicester it was I think lots of people found them I, I know I certainly did found myself thinking back to when they won the league in 2016 and it was such a a sad coda to that story. I didn't want to make it too saccharine, you know. I, I didn't, I didn't know him personally, but it was a tragedy in which five people died. So I couldn't pack it with zingers either. That would have been deeply inappropriate. It was a, a fine balance. And when I sent it off, I said to the editor of the Guardian, "If you decide not to run this, then I completely understand. That's fine. If you don't think I've got it right, then that, that, that's okay." And he ran it past a couple of other people in the office and they agreed it was okay to go up. The response I had from uh, Leicester fans was positive. I only had a couple of people who had questioned whether it needed to be written, which was a valid thing to, to raise. But I think uh, on balance, I think it, it went okay. It is challenging for all those those cartoons. I suppose it would be even more weird to draw some about some other topic in the yeah. you know aftermath of that when it was such a big deal. I mean, I think I definitely think you you hit the right tone in terms of Irish footballers. Is there anyone in particular that um, you you enjoy drawing about? I assume Roy Keane is is on that list. I was going to say Roy Keane. Yeah, <laughs> um, he always always delivers his relationship with Martin O'Neill as well. That's pretty great. Yeah, th- those would be the main two. I mean, Roy Keane. It, I mean, Roy Keane. Almost. I don't want to compare Roy Keane to to, <laughs> to Donald Trump, but like we were saying earlier, he's sort of he's hard to satirise now because he's you know he's almost become a, a caricature of himself. Some of the stuff that he was saying during the World Cup. I'm all for criticism of the England team, and I think there's definitely a need for for balance when England are in the major tournament. But he seemed to ramp up the grumpiness an extra notch. It actually it made for good television, but he's definitely he's aware, I think, that he's playing the, the pantomime villain. How that works when he's the assistant manager of a national football team and falling out with players and all the rest of that, that's probably less productive, but I guess you would have a better opinion on that than me. 
But yeah, it is. It is. A, a, I suppose a, a weird dynamic. Now, every week on the show, we do a, a nostalgia hit, so we talk about you know something that made us you know look back on the past and and made us feel a bit warm and fuzzy. And so you were a Swindon Town fan, and in the early nineties was probably like the heyday when they they were in the yes. Premier League, and now you know they're down in the lower leagues. I mean, is it is it kind of sad to see them now from where they were? And and do you often yeah. think back to those heady days? I do I mean it was their heyday? It was mine as well. I was eighteen when they got promoted to the Premier League, so I was in my prime. Yeah. I mean, I only think about it about twice a day, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I was really thinking about it last week when. Uh, Glenn Hoddle fell ill because he was the Swindon manager when we got promoted and he played for Swindon for a couple of years in the, in the old second division and he was just an absolute joy to watch you know I was thinking about there was one game that Swindon played at Birmingham City on Easter Monday uh, 1993 we were in the playoffs going for promotion and we were 4-1 down with half an hour left lane and just awful Birmingham were whatever the early 90s version of the, the high press was. Birmingham just weren't letting Swindon settle the pass game. Glenn Hoddle was playing at sweeper, but for that last half hour, he stepped up and moved into midfield. And then he just controlled the game completely. Started spraying passes about, and Swindon won 6-4 in the end. I think about that game quite a lot, chiefly because one of my friends gave up on the game at 4-1 and went and sulked in the toilet for the rest of the match. Thus, <laughs> uh, thus missing one of the most famous comebacks in the, in the club's history so yeah heady days uh, oh my god i can't believe that that sitting on a toilet was, was more preferable to yeah. watching a football game no matter the the score but anyway i mean it, we our last episode was on eric cantona and we mentioned his stamp on john manker of swindon yes. town do you remember that incident at all very very well yeah uh, that was one of the maddest games i've been to i think yeah and so that two-all draw, packed house at the county ground. And at that time, I <laughs> I was loosely associated with a group of lads, of Italian lads who lived in Swindon, who were self-styled Swindon ultras. And before the, <laughs> before the game, they decided that they would attempt to have a, uh, what's it called, like a corridor, uh, not a choreography that's dancing is it but you know where the fans all hold up the, the cards and have a display and that sort of thing so yeah like a, like a tifo kind of thing yeah so but this is swindon in 1993 and i'm in a, a packed stand full of miserable blokes i was given the, the task or a bunch of us were given the task of handing out these red and white cards to to supporters with the idea that everyone would hold them up before the as the teams came out there would be a sort of wall of red and um, as it turned out about eight people did it and it looked terrible but um, it didn't mean that everyone everyone had a red bit of card in their hand or in their pocket when when Cantona got sent off so when you watch it on TV if it cuts away to the, the Shrivenham Road stand you, you can see a bunch of people holding up red cards but yeah Swindon that was just a fantastic game during, I don't know if you mentioned it, but during that game, a, a supporter punched Mark Hughes in the face as well. Um, yeah, yeah. So if you watch, if you find the highlights on YouTube, there's a bit where Hughes goes for the ball with a Swindon player and he runs off the pitch and bangs into the advertising board. And as he does, and this happened only about maybe 10 metres in front of me, 
this massive Swindonian bloke with hands like shovels just stepped forward and just yeah, landed one on Mark Hughes. And oh, I do. I do recall watching the highlights of this game. We didn't mention it on yeah. last week's pond, but I actually do re- remember the scene you're talking about. Yeah, yes, man. And the United players came over. Paul Ince, which was there straight away. Paul Ince, Roy Keane, and I think one of them. I can't remember who it was. One of them stepped close to the crowd to try and intervene, and I think saw the size of this bloke and just backed away to a safe distance, <laughs> and, then, and then had a go at him. From, uh, from that distance but yeah it was just a nuts day and afterwards uh, so Swindon drew to all with United that day and afterwards coming out of the, uh, the stand we were in it was like a scene from Braveheart you know it's uh, it a big patch of um, grass behind the, the Shrivenham Road stand and it was police horses and dogs and you know the fans are all fighting one of my friends got uh, punched in the nose and he went off to Went and sat in the back of an ambulance. While he was sat in there, a police a policeman came in as well, and he had blood coming out of his hand. And um, my friend asked him what had happened. He said he'd released his police dog, run in a huge circle around this patch of grass, and then come back and bit him on the hand. Sort of like that um, that scene from The Simpsons where Chief Wiggum is winding up the dog <laughs> and lets them out. So um, <laughs> I think that that's what must have happened. But yeah, I'm gl- I could bore on about this for for hours, so um, I'll, I'll stop now. I, I feel you could probably do a, an entire book on this match alone, which which it consequently ended to all uh, almost right. like a victory for Swindon Town. But Jesus Christ, I did, there's so many so many layers to this one game. It would have been a win for Swindon Town if a chance fell to Norrie Sanchez in the last minute, who was on loan for Swindon. And if he didn't have feet like Toblerones, we might have uh, we might have had them. You know, one of the most famous results in our history. Crazy. Would Would you ever do like a, a book on one person, sort of like an illustrated biography on some like like someone like Cantona would be ideal for that? I assume. But w- would you ever kind of think of doing something like that? Yeah, totally. I think you were talking in your last show about that Eric Cantona interview where he was talking about his upbringing and history. That sort of stuff is fascinating to me. Yeah, if anyone was was game enough to to let to let me at the the live story, then certainly I'd, I'd have a go. Deadly. And just before I let you go, do you have any kind of advice for for young artists or you know uh, cartoonists or comic writers who are kind of just starting out? I guess well, it sounds obvious, but just keep doing it every day, even if you only do an hour a day. That, that's fine and it doesn't always have to be brilliant just just make sure you keep doing it I dropped out of it for many years and that was a mistake on the days where you, the last thing you feel like doing is is drawing and, and writing then if you can just do it for an hour a day that, that's that would be my one bit of advice great well uh, David Squires uh, Guardian cartoonist but more uh, more importantly lifelong Swindon Town fan thanks for joining us on the podcast today thanks very much thanks for having me no problem